Well, all the way back in May 2020, in the height of COVID, we started the Gospel of Luke. And now we're in the final study, the final portion of chapter 24 together. And it's been a blessed journey. And we're going to see how the Lord is continuing to to cap off His glorious resurrection. And then what? Then what do we do with it? Where do we go after that? You're thinking about, well, what book are we in next? Well, let's finish today first, right? What does the Lord want us to do with His glorious resurrection? He has already revealed Himself here in chapter 24 to the the women. He's revealed Himself to the Romans, because remember the angels ran, the angels came, turned the stone away, the Roman guards fled in fear, the women came to the, find the stone, was turned away, and then the Lord appeared to Mary right there behind her, he, she thought he was a gardener, then they had that discussion, they ran back to the disciples, and we've been following over the last few chapters, then he had revealed himself to those strangers, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they come back, Jesus disappears, they rode to Emmaus, guys run all the way back in the middle of the night to the apostles. The apostles probably think they're crazy, and then Jesus appears miraculously right there. Remember in one of the Gospels, they made sure to tell us the doors were shut, and Jesus appeared in the middle of them. And then what? What are we going to do with this? What is the Lord going to teach us? What does He want to share with us? That's what we're going to pick up in verse 44. But let's open with a word of prayer. Father... We thank you so much that you are alive, that you are living, sitting at the right hand of the Father on high, and that soon you're going to return for your church, and you're going to make all things well. You're going to set everything right, Father. Help us from your scriptures to learn what we're to do with these things, Lord. Help us to understand your plan, not only for the church, the big C, our church, the little C, Lord, but also for ourselves in this great plan of yours. And so we thank you in advance for the work you're doing this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's pick up now in verse 44. And he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Now, it seems that Luke here is summarizing what is happening over a 40-day period. Because in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, which is also written by Luke, he makes it clear that Jesus was teaching and revealing them things over 40 days. When you read the Gospel of Luke's narrative, it seems like this happens in one day and then he ascends up into heaven. So it seems as though he's summarizing, hey, what's the point here? What's the key point? So there's two theories here. One, this conversation is happening on that very night that he appears, and then he continues for 40 days, and then he rises from, and then he um, ascends into heaven. Or that this is a summary of what he's teaching him over those, what he's teaching the apostles over that amount of time. Um, the facts remain the same. That Jesus is expounding from the scriptures, once again, just as he did to the guys on the road to Emmaus. Remember the two were walking together and it says that he spoke of the, the entire word of God. How all of the book is written of him. And how all these things had to happen. Well, here he is with the apostles as he's sharing with them the very same thing. And that's what we're doing here this morning, isn't it? We expound every Sunday morning from the word of God, Genesis to Revelation, constantly refocusing ourselves 
on him and his glorious work. The emphasis is on the word of God, his word, because the word of God is alive. Now, the word of God is alive because he is alive. And some people are, they're worshiping a dead God, they're worshiping a dead man. They're, it's a memorial service every Sunday morning for someone they don't think even exists. Maybe he was a good teacher. Maybe he was a, a good leader. Maybe he's just a good moral ideal for us. Born again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that he is living. We know that when we pray, we are praying to a living God and that he is alive and working in us today. And he's working in us this morning. And because he's alive, when he says his word is alive, we know that to be true. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 4, it says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's your thoughts, your intentions, your life. The word of God is alive in your life. I remember um, being discipled as a young man. I'm continuing to be discipled, of course, but as a, as a young man, being taught, hey, read the Bible every day. Be in the Bible every day. And I remember having a discussion with my mentors, like, yeah, but I don't get anything out of it. I'm just, I don't remember half of what I'm even reading. And they taught me what I want to share with you, and that is that the Word of God works with or without your input <laughs> because it's alive. Husbands are taught to be washing their wives in the water of the Word in the book of Ephesians. Why? Because it's alive. It does something powerful. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, comes along and confirms His Word because Jesus Himself is the Word. Jesus is the manifestation of God the Father in the flesh. Meditate on that for a minute. Jesus is the manifestation of God the Father in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity. The Bible tells us in John 14, 9, He who has seen me has seen the Father. That's Jesus. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. In John chapter 10, verse 30, He said, I and the Father are one. And so as He's expounding from the Scriptures, it's His Word, because He is the Word. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is important for us today because we don't see Jesus. He doesn't literally walk with us. When I go to Dunkin' Donuts and I pray for forgiveness for eating those fat pills, I don't turn to the passenger seat and say, Lord, what do you think we should do here? I'm about to sneeze. Hold on. It's coming. Am I good? I don't know. Pray for me. (laughs) And so the Lord, though, tells us that he indwells us by the sealing of the Holy Spirit of promise. The Bible tells us that we are to be living sacrifices, that the word of God is alive that Jesus is alive, and therefore we are alive. Even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we are now made alive. None of this, none of this means anything if Jesus' body's in a grave somewhere. somewhere. It it is all a con. 
if he didn't rise from the dead. But praise God, he rose from the dead because he is what he says he is. And he has set us free because he set himself free. He was victorious over sin, death, and the devil. He was in the grave for three days, and he raised up himself. And all these things are a historical account of a factual incident. We know this, and we constantly want to repeat this. Why? How do we know this? Because of the radical transformation of the apostles themselves, which have been recorded from extra-biblical writings, historical accounts, archaeological evidence. We have the radical change in Israel itself, in this new group of people that have been historically, archaeologically, and extra-biblically proven to have existed. We have a radical change within the Roman Empire. We have people that are confessing these things as true until their torturous deaths. How can they do this? if they did not literally see the resurrected Lord. But they did. But they did. And he is alive today as much as he was alive then. And his word is alive, again, because he is alive. And because he is alive and his word is alive, we are alive. And here he is simply teaching them that all these things must be fulfilled. Must be fulfilled. And it's so, it's so um, encouraging to me that they didn't have to understand any of it for it to be true. Meditate on that for a second. They didn't have to understand any of these things for Jesus to be victorious and to give these promises by grace through faith. It was just bestowed upon them. Jesus didn't even have to show back up. He could have just gone straight to the throne. Ah, forget those guys. They let me down anyway. I'll do this by myself. But no, because he, all his promises are yes and amen. He had to come back, wanted to come back, because remember, this is his glorious plan, and now he's revealing these things to them. Imagine you're in that room, though. Let's, let's say, hypothetically, all these things is a literal one-time event. Jesus has showed up. Their jaws have not even been picked up from the floor, and Jesus is like, Bible study time, boys. And he's expounding from the scriptures. The jaws just remain on the ground. Incredible. But it's not done. The work is finished, but the plan is not complete. The work on the cross is finished. Salvation has been won. It is freely given. But now we have a new dispensation. We have a a new chapter. And that's the title of our sermon. And then what? What do they do now? In verses 46 through 48, Jesus is going to continue. He says, Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. There is a lot. And a couple little verses there, there is a lot to unravel, isn't there? A lot to unbox. It is written. 
Again, all these things have to confirm with the Word of God. Everything that we do in our living relationship with God confirms and conforms to His living Word as believers. But He says that's not enough. Well, that's important there. He says that's not enough. Everything's being fulfilled in His Word. But you have a mission, but you can't start that mission yet, right? Because what does He say there? He says, what is the mission? That repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. That's the mission. And it's called the Great Commission. In fact, in Matthew chapter 28, it's expounded on a little bit more. It says, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. The Great Commission, go into all the world, bear witness to teach and to share. Now, I know how some of you guys work, and your mind has gone to, okay, so we need to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But in the book of Acts, it says to baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. Mike, which one do we do? Just cheat. Do both. That's what I do. I say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I cover every base. Every base. We're talking about the same person. Doesn't matter. You don't have to get rebaptized because of what name or name wasn't done or omitted. The most important thing is that you're baptized for the remission of sins in the name of Jesus Christ. I, just, I need to get you back on path here. Don't want you to go down the rabbit hole. You got a question about that, we can discuss it after the service. But we're to go into all the world, back in Luke 24, verse 47, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. He says they're witnesses of these things. But then he says something else. There's another ingredient that needs to be there, that they're to go to Jerusalem, they're to wait until they are endued from power from on high. The Holy Spirit has a work here. The Holy Spirit has always been at work, whether you know it or not. The Word of God, this great plan, is one great continuous string from the moment that God breathed into the dirt and brought Adam forth out of the ground. He has always been at work. I was sharing with a friend the other day. We sometimes in our mind, whether we know it or not, think that there's the Old Testament, and then God gave up for a little while. Then he brought John the Baptist, and then there's the New Testament. And then there was the church, the, the Holy Spirit, and the Pentecost. And then you had the first century A.D. And then God gave up in the first century A.D. until the Reformation. And then he showed up in the Reformation, the Holy Spirit's working again. And then God gave up for a little bit. And in the Calvary Chapel movement, we think the church picks up in 1960 in Costa Mesa, California. It's like, no, that's not how it works. I mean, you think it's a, one continuous string where the Holy Spirit has been working the whole time, from Adam to Abraham to the life of Isaac, and then Jacob and Joseph, Moses to King David and Daniel and Isaiah, to John the Baptist, to Jesus himself, who is the fulcrum, the I am in the flesh, 100% man, 100% God. But then it's going to continue here. It's going to continue in Luke 24. It's going to continue in Acts chapter 1. 
And it's going to go with the apostles. The apostles are going to spread out all over the world. There are historical records that teach us in church history that they go into the Middle East, they go into Asia, they go into North Africa, they go into Rome, they go into places where all of them except John are martyred for the faith. But it doesn't stop there. Then it goes to the early church fathers. The early church fathers. The Holy Spirit's working through them. And then over the centuries you have the growth of the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church and the Oriental Church, but the Word of God was still preserved. The Holy Spirit was still working. And then, yes, we had the Reformation, and we had people that were giving their lives being burned at the stake for the preservation of the Word of God to bring it into the languages of individual tribes and countries and cultures. And it didn't stop there. The pilgrims and the Puritans continued to bring the Word of God forth. And then after that, we had the great awakenings and these great movings of God's Spirit in England, in Wales, in China, in the United States, in the colonies, and then even in the Confederacy in, 19, in, 19, in 1863. These great revivals. Then we have the evangelists of the early 20th century. And the Word of God just continues to go. The Holy Spirit has never stopped working. Now, just like these apostles in the room, sometimes they don't understand what God is doing. And sometimes we scratch our heads and we say, God, how could you use this denomination or that church or these people through all that idolatry, through all those politics, through all that that stuff that we know is not from you? And yet, there has always been faithful remnants, and the Word of God has always been working. The Holy Spirit has always been moving, and He's working and moving in us now. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside us. You see, the day of Pentecost there in the book of Acts is speaking of the anointing of the Holy Spirit on the church corporately. It's always been assigned to that day of Pentecost, those weeks. And yet, we know in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus individually breathed on the apostles and said, I give you now the Holy Spirit. You say, I don't know the Holy Spirit. I don't understand the Holy Spirit. You're in great company. Just as on the road to Emmaus, they had no idea they were speaking to Jesus. Just as the apostles go and wait on Pentecost, and yet the Lord is still working in them, your level of understanding is not affecting the work of God. Our level of understanding is not the kryptonite to the Holy Spirit. Like somehow you have to be smart enough to figure this out or He can't work. I've shared this before. I'll share it again because we're in the Christmas season. You know, when you watch the the Santa films, especially those recently, isn't it all based on like Santa has no power if we don't believe in Him. We all have to believe in Him and then He has power. And unfortunately, sometimes the church believes that that's how God operates. You couldn't be more wrong You couldn't be more wrong. He he operates through our faith, not because of our faith. He operates through our faith, but not because of our faith. Mike, give me a text. I need some proof here. Well, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins and you were an enemy of Christ, he died for you. And it was the goodness of man that led you to repentance. The goodness of man. Who's ever heard of the goodness of man? It was the goodness of God that led man to repentance. And he worked in your life in spite of you. 
And by faith you were saved because of his finished work. We have no strength. It's not because of our intellect, not because of our our health or our wealth or what country you're assigned to or what language you speak. The only ability he needs from you is availability. He is continuing to work with or without you, but he does want to work with you. And that's the beauty of it. He does want you. He wants to use you. It is the work of God, but it is the work nonetheless. And so as he expounds from them in the, the, in the scriptures in verse 44, speaking of the entire word of God, he says, from the scriptures, we can tell you that it's necessary for Christ to give himself in verse 46. And he says, I have this mission for you that I've always had for you in verse 47. The repentance and remissions of sin should be preached to all nations in his name but that you're to be witnesses after you receive the Holy Spirit in verse 49. And that's what he says in verse 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Go wait. Nobody wants to hurry up and wait. But it's the Lord's timing. It's when he wants to do it. You can study the Holy Spirit. You can categorize the Holy Spirit. You can seek after the Holy Spirit. You can try and find the sign gifts of the Holy Spirit. But He is a sovereign person of the Godhead bodily. He's the third person of the Trinity. What that means is He sits in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. He works when He wants to work. He does what He wants to do. He does it in who He wants to do it. Anytime that we, as people, think that we somehow earn the Holy Spirit, or conjure up the Holy Spirit, or make the Holy Spirit do anything, we are in error. He does whatever He pleases. His his will is in unity with Jesus and God the Father. We do have the confirmation from Scripture that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, confess Him as Lord and believe in your heart, He has sealed you with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells in you. There are mysteries to that, I admit. But nevertheless, He wills. And so the Holy Spirit works in us because He's the living God working through His living Word. And Matthew's Gospel, again, tells us that Jesus breathed on the apostles, receive ye the Holy Spirit, but then He tells them to go to the upper room and wait for the Holy Spirit. What? That doesn't make any sense. I know, but that's what the book says, y'all. I don't know. And you have all these different theologians trying to understand what's happening there. I have to believe that when Jesus says he's given them the Holy Spirit, that what has happened? He's giving them the Holy Spirit. They don't say anything. There's no speaking in tongues. There's no um, fire upon their head. It just says they have the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus says they have the Holy Spirit, they have the Holy Spirit. Their feelings have nothing to do with it. It's a fact. Just like Christ died and rose from the dead. At one time, I thought that was a lie and a myth. And then one day, I realized that it was the truth of God revealed to mankind. Well, you have received the Holy Spirit. And you may think, well, no, I haven't. doesn't matter. If you've confessed Jesus Christ with your, with your mouth and confessed in your heart, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. doesn't matter what you feel like. Now, there are times where the Holy Spirit comes upon somebody And crazy things happen. But if it's biblical, 
that means that you're going to have the fruits of the Spirit listed in the book of Galatians, of which one of them is self-control. So if you're out of control, it's not the Holy Spirit. That's your spirit or somebody else's. But it ain't from the Holy Spirit. See, when the, when the Holy Spirit falls upon you, you have more control over yourself, not less. And of course, we've seen it abused. But so haven't we seen the Word of God abused? We see the Word of God abused, and we see it tortured, and we see people teaching heresies all over the place. We don't throw out the Word of God. And so we see the Holy Spirit being abused, misused, misinterpreted, and people are throwing out the baby with the bathwater, like, well, can't have any of it now. Well, you would never do that with your Bible. But we do have to realize that there are things that we don't understand And yet God sits in the heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. You can either get on his boat or get off his boat, but he's the captain. He built the boat. He even built the ocean the boat is in. (laughs) It's all his. And so Jesus is telling them back here in our text, wait for this special anointing, then go and do the mission. And what's the mission? To be a witness. Yeah, it says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the world and teach about repentance and the remission of sins. Go and preach, and the way that you preach is by being a witness. Just share what you saw. That's what being a witness is. You experience something, and you share it with others. And so many people today, are not, they're not following this commission Because they think they need to go to evangelism training. They think they need to go to a school. They think they need to have a council. They they think they need to understand and categorize the Word of God better. That they got to memorize certain scriptures. That they got to know a certain response, answer, question, process. What did Jesus say that the apostles needed? Repeat what you saw. Tell them what I told you. Wait for the Holy Spirit. That's it. Can you do that? 100%. If you have a living relationship with the living Lord, you can do all those things because he's doing a work in you. If this is your first day, you've never opened the Bible, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but you are saved, that means you confess Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. He supernaturally fills you with the Holy Spirit, even if you feel nothing, even if you're dead as a doornail. That's me most of the time. You just go and you tell somebody, hey, I went to church. Don't know what happened, but I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Congratulations, you are now a witness to the whole world. Because it's His work, not yours. It's His work, not yours. It's His work. You witness what He has done, and you share it with others. And each and every single one of us has a testimony, and they're all different. Each one of us has a testimony to share, to be a witness. Now, in the book of Acts, also written by Luke, he explains what Jesus tells him. He says in Acts 1.8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So the Holy Spirit brings power. The Holy Spirit brings a witness. The Holy Spirit brings you a spiritual energy. We know from Galatians, though, that it's under self-control. It brings more joy, more peace, 
more understanding, more self-control. Fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. You can check it out. And then compare that to the works of the flesh in the same chapter. You'll see many workings of the Holy Spirit in parentheses in the church today are actually works of the flesh and not fruits of the Spirit. Remember that Jesus has been expounding to them from the Scriptures, so we're able to, from the Scriptures, confirm whether these things are true or not. It's almost like he's had a plan, like from the beginning. And like the Holy Spirit's been working the whole time, continuing to work in each and every one of us. It's incredible. And that's when the Word of God tells us that we're to live by faith and not by sight. The Holy Spirit empowers us. It convicts us of sin. It tells us when we're wrong. It shows us and draws us to the Word of God. We'll see that in the book of Acts when on the road to Damascus, Jesus Christ reveals himself. And Saul says pretty much, hello, Lord, what you doing? Because he knows he's God. And Jesus says in the King James, because that's how Jesus speaks in the King James. He says, why kickest thou against the goads? Why kickest thou against the goats? What, what does that mean? Why are you resisting the Holy Spirit? Why are you resisting the Holy The Holy Spirit's pricking your heart. The Holy Spirit's convicting you. Why aren't you, why aren't you listening to him? You've got to rip that part out of the Bible if you're a Calvinist, though, because you can't resist the Holy Spirit at all, apparently. So you just like, can't use that text. Or you just torture it so much it, believe, it confesses to what you want it to believe. But the Holy Spirit comes alongside and convicts us of certain things. And we know that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives at those moments. But sometimes we resist. We don't want to. Because the Bible tells us that we have free will. Free will. That means we've got to make choices. And we have to choose to obey God rather than man. We have to choose to obey God rather than man. We have to choose every day, as Paul says, to die daily, to no longer walk in the flesh, but to walk in the Spirit. We have to choose these things. We have to choose to be disciples. And then when we realize that it's not about how we feel, when we realize that our feelings can actually twist us and change us and lead us into places the Holy Spirit doesn't want us to go. When we realize that we need to be in the Word of God, we need to be prayer, we need to be in fellowship, and we start walking by faith and not by sight, and we realize that there's a great many things that we don't understand, but we can look at that long chain of history, that church history that we just talked about. We can look at the working of God in this fellowship and in each other, and we can look at what he's doing and say, I want to be a part of that. And I want to be continually be a part of that, that we have more faith. And we realize that we can't even make our own faith, right? We've been sharing that in the book of Hebrews. Jesus says through the scripture that he is the author and the finisher of our faith, that he gives us the faith. Wow. So, Mike, what am I supposed to do here? Because I just don't know. I just doubt. I just, I know what you're telling me. I hear, what you're hear, I hear what you're saying, but at the end of the day, when I leave here, I have doubts, and they creep in. I don't see it. I don't feel it. I don't know it. I don't understand it. What do you want me to do? Well, Jesus has an encouragement for you. It is okay to doubt. It's not okay to stay in doubt. It's not okay to live in doubt, but it's okay to have doubts. 
You see, in John chapter 20, this guy named Thomas shows up. He wasn't in the room when Jesus showed up. And they're all talking. And he's like, y'all are crazy. I don't care what the whole church says. The whole church says they saw Jesus. You guys are crazy. I'll believe him when I see him and I put my hands in his wounds. That's the kind of faith that I have. And then Jesus shows up and says, Thomas, Thomas, touch me, feel it. He didn't come and condemn Thomas for those questions, did he? No, no. He said, go ahead, touch me. And then this is what Jesus says in John 20, verse 29. Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you and me. We have a special blessing from the Lord because we don't get to see any of it, but we walk by faith and not by sight. And and then what? And then what? Then when you start walking with Him, you start seeing Him more and more often. And you get to to be a part of what He's doing. And when, when you start walking your Christian walk and you're not seeking after your feelings, when you're not looking to try and be in some la-la land in your mind where you feel good all the time and everything's all sunshine and roses and you're actually able to face difficulty in your life, to face indecision and doubts and fears and sorrow and suffering and still by faith say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. He leads me by still waters and green pastures and prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy, that he is a mountain that I flee to like a bird in times of trial that I will seek after him like a deer panteth for water, that he is my strong tower, my chief cornerstone, the captain of my salvation, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the line of the tribe of Judah, and he is mine, and he no longer calls me a servant but calls me a friend. You can learn all that stuff. Just suffer a little while. It'll come. (laughs) But when you realize that all those things are divorced from your feelings, your feelings begin to be aligned with him and not with yourself. And then the Lord will really start to use you. It's been faithfully said that a man, the Lord will never truly use a man he hasn't broken. And he will truly use a man that he has truly broken. Don't feel bad, ladies. He's talking about you too. But you're able to do those things because of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, because of His promise. You can have that. You can be a witness First, in your Jerusalem, this is your Jerusalem, this is your town, this is where you live. You could be from Philadelphia, Jersey, Ohio, California, Maryland. We had some people from Montana at one time, some people from Florida, all the different states, all across the world. We have people from Russia that come here, from the Ukraine. We've had people from all over. And this is your town, this is where you begin to be your witness. And then once you're a witness here, then you get to be a witness to our community. And then when you're a witness to our community as a part of this fellowship, you're now a witness in Roatan, Honduras, a witness in Peru and Trujillo, and the Christmas boxes going throughout the world and Operation Christmas Child through the Pregnancy Support Center. We're doing this work of God, and we're doing it all by just following after Jesus and letting the Holy Spirit do its work in us just by being a witness, just by reading, praying, being in fellowship, worshiping together, drawing closer to the Lord, and we say, Lord, have your way in us. 
it's your witness. You empower it. You do it, and you share with it. So I tell everybody, I'm just along for the ride like everyone else. See where the Lord is leading us. The and then what now is the same as it was then. We're going to gather together in prayer. We're going to gather together and seek after Him. We're going to grow and expound in the Scriptures together. We're going to seek the very best gifts. We're going to wait upon the Lord for His moving. We're going to be sensitive to His leading. And then we're going to allow ourselves to be conformed to His image, not the other way around. And then we're just going to hold on for dear life and watch this thing go. Because He's in charge. And now we read verses 50 through 53. And it says, And He led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up His hands and blessed them. And now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. I love the Gospel of Mark's summary. Um, The Gospel of Mark, written for a guy like me, short, sweet, to the point. This is what he says in Mark 16. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out everywhere. They went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. That's how you just finished it off right like that. He went up into heaven. They started preaching. The word was working and being confirmed. Amen. Amen. And that's what he's doing here. And he's continuing to do that until his glorious Return, And that is what is listed in the book of Acts. If you want to continue this study, you can start reading in the book of Acts and continue on there. But in verses 10 and 11, it says, And while they looked up steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus was taken up from you into heaven and will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And this is so important. Jesus Christ is going to return for his church. But here's a a word of uh, encouragement. Also a little word of um, discipline. Jesus didn't say to stop and stay on that hill and wait for his glorious return. What did he say? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's the mission. Right? We want to see the signs and the times of his coming. We want to be aware of the signs of time is coming? That's not the great commission. The great commission is not to figure out when he's coming. It's to look up for his glorious return, but the great commission is to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. The remission of sins through the Holy Spirit. So waiting for his glorious return is secondary to his glorious work. And second, this is an aside note, you hasten his coming with every saving of a soul. No, 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 don't, don't misinterpret. I can see the tweets now. I'm not saying that we decide when Jesus arrives. I'm not saying that we're actually in control of his timing. But we do know that when the fullness of the Gentiles has come, when the last person that he has ordained at his timing is saved, that's when the trumpet will sound and will be taken up in the heavens with him and the seven-year tribulation will begin. So let's go save souls. Now, of course, now there's somebody else. Michael, that's not good doctrine. No, we don't save people. Jesus saves people. Yes, I know. The book of Acts says that the Lord saved as many as would be saved. So let's all sum it back up to do your job. 
go out and be a witness and preach the gospel and let the, wor- let the Lord work. Let the Lord do His convicting, transforming, and equipping through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God will do the convicting, transforming, and equipping, and we are to go out into all the world and be a witness. And when we don't know, we say, I don't know. But come with me and let's find out. I don't know why or how or when. I just know that He does. And I know that He will. And so we continue to wait and continue to grow in the Scriptures and see Jesus through all of it. We continue, as the Bible says, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We continue to be conformed by His image as He transforms and conforms us. And we remember what the apostles told us, that Jesus is real, that Jesus is alive. And they gave their lives proclaiming that truth. And in 1 John, John, the last survivor of the apostles, the only one to die of old age, I think just to prove to all of us that we don't all have to be martyred, said in 1 John chapter 1, starts his gospel, his, his epistle with this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard with our ears, we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, that our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Verse 3, that which, you, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also, you can circle that in your Bible, you also means you, present, that you also may have fellowship with us, Whoa, that's deep. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write to you that your joy may be made full. There's a whole sermon here, but I want you to summarize in this. He's saying, let me finish in verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. I'm going to summarize all that because it summarizes the gospel. They literally walked with Jesus, touched Him, held Him, smelled Him, ate with Him, talked with Him. He literally rose from the grave. They literally saw it. And then they gave it to the other people. And they say, we had this witness so that you may have fellowship with us. He's saying that we, by faith, even though we never saw the true and the living Lord, are in the same level and the same fellowship as Him because the Lord is alive. And because of that our joy may be made full. That means if you have no joy here this morning, that's your fault, not His. Because it is made full by His glorious resurrection and His power. Now, some of us, we have to wrestle with that by faith alone in Christ alone, I realize. For some of us, that's a deeper battle, and we will pray with you and encourage you, but it's still a fact. And then He says, listen, I was with Jesus, I saw Jesus, I walked with Jesus. He rose from the the grave. He has no sin. He is the light of the world. He is the Word of God. And when we study the Word of God and are filled with the Holy Spirit and He empowers us and uses us, it's not because of how good you are. It's because of how good He is. And we say, and now what? See, the Gospel of Luke ends the way it began in the temple. In the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, it was Zechariah, sitting in there, wondering what was going on, the high priest. 
and he received that word to name his son John. <clears throat> there was doubts and confusion, no idea what was happening. And now at the other side of the cross and the resurrection, the word of God is complete. The Holy Spirit has come. The prophecies are there. They're filled with the Holy Spirit to go into all the world and to be witnesses of our Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done. And that continues to this day until he returns. He hasn't returned yet, so it's time to go to work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. As you completed this gospel here this morning, we know that that gospel is not quite completed in us, that you continue to use us for this great commission. Help us to be your witnesses. Help us to grow in your word and grow in the spirit and grow and seek first. There's doubts here this morning and confusion. There's hurts and pains. There's joy and excitement, Lord. We pray for a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. We pray for a fresh encouraging, a fresh breath to come through here and encourage us to grow in you and be used by you. And we, and we lift up this whole gathering of believers, Lord, and pray that your will would be accomplished in our lives and that you would be glorified, you would be lifted up. We thank you for who you are and the work you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. If you don't know Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, you came for the first time, you're confused, come on up. We'd love to pray with you, share with you, answer some of your questions. If you need prayer, come on up. The question of the hour, next Sunday we will be in the minor prophet of Haggai. God bless you and have a wonderful week.